Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. The Exxon Radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. All Hit Radio. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, and uh, for the next four hours, I'm your host and your guide as together, you and I cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the Exxon. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the Exxon comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern on the Talkstar Radio Network, Exxon Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, Star Cable, and our growing family of broadcast affiliates right across Canada, the United States, Central America, South America, the Caribbean, the Pacific Rim, Asia, Africa, and Europe. Toll-free worldwide, 1-800-610-7035. Email exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, exxonradiotv at hotmail.com. 
and our website, www.exxoneradiotv.com. My guest this hour, Exxon Nation, is uh, Michael Clarkson. We're going to be speaking to Michael about poltergeists, a new look at Ghostbusters, flying phones, and floating beds. And Michael, welcome to the Exxon. Yes, thanks for having me, Rob. Tell me, where did your interest in poltergeists, ghosts, flying phones, and floating beds come from? It, uh, there was a seed, I guess, planted about um, 30, more than 30 years ago. And the case of the police officers in St. Catharines, and I was working in the area at the time in the back burner, but uh, something seemed to be legitimate. Mm-hmm. Uh, about this case, and so I sort of followed um, other poltergeist cases through the years, and uh, voila, I just sat down one day and said, I'm going to write a book about it because it seemed interesting. Now, the uh, the poltergeist that you're talking about was over a pizza parlor on Church Street, and it was well witnessed and documented by members of the then uh, the St. Catharines Police Department, which is now part of the Niagara Regional Police. I believe that there was a priest involved. There were four or five police officers witnessed uh, the different events, and it was all it was all seemed to be concentrated around a young teenage boy who lived there with his parents. Am I correct? Yes, actually, <clears throat> Rob. He was eleven years old, and he lived with his. Um parents and a mm-hmm. younger brother, and it seemed to be a, a sort of a traditional European home where the children were to be seen and not heard, and I think yeah. this, this boy seemed to be uh, feeling repressed, and these uh, strange occurrences uh, went, uh, kept uh, going on around him, uh, strange things were happening, uh, pots were flying, uh, parents became uh, very upset, they checked with the uh, city people, the hydro people, they thought there was maybe something wrong with the building because... Mm-hmm. Um, Things were going off the wall. And eventually, yes, you're right. The entire shift of police officers, the police came in. That uh, that has to be one of the most famous Canadian cases. But uh, when people think about poltergeists, they think about uh, that little girl on TV who sat in front of the blank screen and said, "They're here." How true was that to uh, what you believe is poltergeist? Is it does it have something to do with the paranormal, or is it telekinesis? Actually, I reviewed the Rob 75 cases, and all I can tell you was the uh, trends and common denominators, which came from these 75 cases. And what I found was that um, poltergeist energy or poltergeist seemed to be haunted people mm-hmm. rather than haunted homes. I believe the poltergeist movie, the house was centered over an Indian burial ground that had to do with spirits. But I found in my research that um, I was going to actually call this book Psychic Tantrums at one point because I think... It has indeed to do with a young person going perhaps through puberty who has an unusual energy. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that word telekinesis, which is also known as psychokinesis. Actually, we call um, poltergeist energy a form of that recurrent spontaneous psychokinesis. That was uh, a term uh, coined by William Rowe, a famous parapsychologist. So I, I think that, uh, at least in my research, there are cases of haunted people. Uh, with unusual energies they don't know how to control, perhaps subconscious, but whenever they're in the room for a short period of time, um, all kinds of crazy things are going on, including police officers who have been sitting in chairs. Michael, you and I have to take a commercial break. Please stand by. Michael Clarkson's our guest. He's the author of The Poltergeist Phenomena. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. 
Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Michael Clarkson's our special guest this hour. He's the author of The Poltergeist Phenomenon, an in-depth investigation into floating beds, smashing glass, and other unexplained disturbances. Describe uh, what a poltergeist is and how it differs from a ghost for us, Michael. Sure. And the common trends I found in my case is the poltergeist case generally has an agent, as we talked earlier, usually, usually an adolescent entering mm-hmm. puberty immediately around whom the strange occurrences occur, he or she is usually quite intelligent. And there's usually some sort of repression or frustration of the poltergeist agent by others, a high level of stress in the household, usually only a lifespan of one to several, one week to several months, although there are some exceptions. And dramatic events, unexplained knocking, electrical malfunctions, movements of objects, occasionally um, reported levitation. Now, I've, I've had a couple or three cases perhaps where there seems to have been spirits involved, but um, most parapsychologists these days, they say they're, they think uh, it's a case of haunted people rather than uh, haunted houses. Uh, however, there is a, a Virginia psychiatrist, Dr. Ian Stevenson. He thinks there's still a link between spirits of the dead and poltergeist activity, and he sometimes suggests to families that a seance uh, be held to cleanse a home. But in, in the main, I think the, the spirit theory has gradually over the years sort of fallen by the wayside in poltergeist research. Tell me, Michael, how rare are poltergeist cases, and how often are they actually reported? Actually, I think they are very rare, and unfortunately, because of the dynamics, the family dynamics, they don't want investigators to come in. So usually only about 12% of actual 
rare poltergeist cases are investigated. So you, you can see how hard it is to get a line on these things, how hard mm-hmm. it is to investigate these things. Should people who are involved in a poltergeist be afraid of the poltergeist activity? Is it dangerous and is it harmful to them and those around them? It can be. There were about um, a dozen cases I had where people were harmed. However, none of them were serious. Mm-hmm. And usually it's a case of um, uh, the poltergeist agent subconsciously being mischievous rather than harmful. Now, I have a little section in my book uh, called Help for the Victims in, in case a family believes uh, they have a poltergeist in their home. Do you want me to read a little bit? Sure, please do, yes. Yes. How does one get rid of alleged poltergeist? Most cases of poltergeist activity seem to die a natural death after a few weeks or months, and sometimes it eases with a feeling of stress in a household. Sometimes the occurrences end when the agent realizes he or she is the cause. Other times psychotherapy seems to help. Exorcisms don't seem to work, but clergy and parapsychologists report some relief in the victims when they counsel the family. If the stress in a family is addressed, paranormal activity will often disappear. And in case, uh, <clears throat> there's, there's another case, Stephen Mera, who is a parapsychologist in Manchester, uh, he does not claim to be able to get rid of poltergeists. He told me, most of all, our investigations help the family through the crisis, giving them information, support, and assistance, and we try to identify what is causing the occurrence. Trying to find out what's causing the occurrences, Mm -hmm. uh, never mind trying to make them go away. So what are some of the common threads, the commonalities between people who have poltergeist experiences? Uh, Yes, uh, there's a lot of commonality, but uh, I think um, one thing I I neglected to speak about is how these poltergeist agents do it, Mm -hmm. or how we think they do it. I think they tap into an unknown source of energy. In fact, I think their brains may be a little more unique than the uh, general population, slightly higher rate of epilepsy and schizophrenia. But I think these unusual brains tap into a nearby electrical source, whether it's um, geomagnetic storms, Mm -hmm. household electricity, even magnetic fields. And uh, then somehow they're causing gravity to be suspended there's a term for this it's called the zero point theory or zero point energy we don't exactly know how this works but i think it's got something to do with our fear system and as i mentioned the psychic tantrums when we get all worked up then we go into our fight or flight mode and mm-hmm. i think these agents uh, find a way to express themselves in their house than to uh, manifest these crazy things these uh, chairs moving and uh, beds floating so as you can see, uh, Rob, it's a very complex issue, and unfortunately, there seems to be fewer funds available right now in poltergeist research, so we're sort of at, I think, a bit of a standstill in this area of research. How serious is poltergeist activity taken by mainstream science and the mainstream medical community? Not very. There are a number of cases which I have in my book in which there is fraud involved. Some cases are outright fraud. There mm-hmm. are some cases in which... Um, there are legitimate poltergeist activities, and yet the kids uh, can't make it uh, happen when there are media in the room or parapsychologists. So they tend to kick, o- kick over a lamp, and they want to maintain attention, in other words, kids being kids. So skeptics, scientists will say, aha, see, I told you there was nothing to this case. But I think mainstream science, yes, is uh, very skeptical. There's a doctor at Laurentian University in Sudbury, Dr. Michael Persinger. He's fairly skeptical, but he mm-hmm. keeps an open mind. 
He's actually testing an agent right now, a Canadian woman who I can't name because of the stigma involved in this uh, this uh, paranormal uh, subject. But he's testing her. He thinks there may be something to it. He thinks that she may be able to transfer her poltergeist activity into psychokinesis, which is a more conscious using the mind to uh, make things move. She's created a little pinwheel out of a pencil and um, a piece of paper, and she seems to be able to make the pinwheel move just through the force of her mind. Now, if a guy like Dr. Persinger can uh, establish this as fact, then I think some of his uh, borderline scientists, we'll call them, uh, may fall into place, and maybe they'll be more accepting. You know, Michael's very well known throughout the the paranormal community. He's done extensive research on the connection between uh, sightings of UFOs and Earth anomalies. So to, to hear him involved with the parapsychology and the, the poltergeist doesn't surprise me at all. 1-800-610-7035. My email address is xzone at xzoneradiotv.com on MSN Messenger, xzoneradiotv at hotmail.com. My guest this hour is Michael Clarkson. He's the uh, the author of The Poltergeist Phenomenon. And have you ever been part of a paranormal experience yourself, Michael? It depends what you mean, uh, Rob, by paranormal. I have had uh, so-called in-the-zone experiences mm -hmm. in my life, and I've uh, been um, researching fear in the fight-or-flight system a lot. I've had what I would term, for lack of a better phrase, out-of-body experiences when I've been under pressure in deadline situations, as a newspaper reporter in mm -hmm. amateur sports where I've seen um, uh, things seem to happen in slow motion. You'll hear this all the time from uh, athletes and accident victims. I think it's part of the fight-or-flight system giving us supposedly more room and time to deal with a threatening situation. Now, there's, there's quite a leap, I think, between that and actually making things move with your mind. But some people could argue, well, if Tiger Woods or Jack Nicholson mm -hmm. in their heydays could actually will that golf ball into a hole. So it's... Uh, it's hard to prove, but I think we, because we all have the fight-or-flight system hardwired into us, I think we have more abilities, especially involving our focus, uh, than we realize. All right, so when you were talking about Tiger Woods and Jack Nicholson, do we know this for a fact that they actually willed their balls into the hole and that it wasn't through skill? Obviously, it's probably mostly skill. No, we, mm -hmm. we can't prove it. Unfortunately, we can't hook people up to... Um, brain wires in the middle of battle because it is a, a terrible distraction. That's, I think that's why people who claim to be uh, psychokinetic who can move things with their mind, when they're actually tested, mm -hmm. they feel very distracted because these people are watching. So it, it's hard to duplicate that. So I'm not sure if we're ever going to be able to prove this. There have been some cases, if you want me to talk about that now, where, sure. where uh, agents have been tested. Mm -hmm. Possibly uh, the most compelling evidence was a woman in the 50s and 60s by the name of Nina Kulagina. It's K-U-L-A-G-I-N-A, -A, in case your listeners want to YouTube her. There's some videos of her. Initially, she had poltergeist activity, allegedly, in her apartment, and then the Soviet scientists got interested, in, including two Nobel laureates, and they tested her, often in closely controlled lab conditions, and they claimed that she could move things by focusing tightly with her mind. In fact, she was sometimes put into a cage to prevent trickery, Wow. and sometimes uh, things were put in a plexiglass cube with video cameras rolling out. No, no one ever caught her cheating. But these cases seem to be far and few between. There was a lab at Princeton University uh, in which uh, a scientist by the name of Robert John, quite respected, he and his colleagues believed that they produced good experimental data 
to support the existence of uh, PK or mind mm -hmm. over matter. They said that some people were able to influence small balls and pendulums through the force of their mind. But I said earlier, partly um, to your point about mainstream science, there seems to be a bit of a drop-off. I know William Rowe, who's been the number one poltergeist hunter over the decades, he's in semi-retirement now. No one seems to be taking up his mantle. And some of these university labs are either closing or they don't have as much research money. So this is a very difficult field to investigate as is, but um, without the will to do it, without mainstream science on board, without the funds, it's going to be increasingly difficult in uh, coming years to do so. So how do we differentiate between real cases and cases that only occur when there's no one around to investigate them? It seems in, in the cases I've investigated, there is someone around, not necessarily to investigate, mm -hmm. but the family members are around. In other words, the family members seem to be part of the cause. Now, how many times do they report this to investigators? Yeah. Who knows? So there actually may be more poltergeist cases going on than we suspect. However, if it does get to the stage where uh, there's being damage in an apartment or a house, uh, glasses, cups, going over for a two-week period, usually a family will contact someone, whether it's hydro people, whether it's the city, wondering about fault lines. Um, so usually someone who gets involved, and of course the media gets wind of poltergeist, uh, that little catchphrase, sure. and it's always a sexy story. So I tend to think that most uh, legitimate poltergeist cases do eventually get around to being reported, but as I say, they're, they're still quite rare. Although All right. they are reported throughout the world. Michael, stand by. We've got to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Michael Clarkson is our guest, Exxon Nation. He's the author of Poltergeist Phenomenon. We'll be back on the other side of this news break talking more about poltergeist as the Exxon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. From You're listening to the X-Zone Radio Show, live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network, X-Zone Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, and Star Cable. Our toll-free telephone number worldwide is 1-800-610-7035. Our email address, xzone at xzoneradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, TV at Hotmail.com. And our website, www.XZoneRadioTV.com. Why do I feel like I'm losing control? Another turning point, a fork stuck in the road. Time grabs you by the rest, directs you where to go. So make the best of this test and don't ask why. It's not a question, but a lesson learned in time. It's something unpredictable, but in the end is right. I hope you had the time of your life. So take the photographs and still frames in your mind 
Welcome back, everyone. This is The Exxon. My name is Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Our special guest this hour is Michael Clarkson. Michael is the author of The Poltergeist Phenomenon, an in-depth investigation into floating beds, smashing glass, and other unexplained disturbances. And it is published by our good friends at New Page, and it's available at www.newpagebooks.com and www.warwickassociates.net. When it comes to the investigation of a poltergeist case, how do we, how do you as a researcher validify the claims of, of a person or a family that claimed to have been involved in a poltergeist if you get there and there's no evidence of any poltergeist activity? Yes, I've actually never been to a poltergeist house while a case was going on. In fact, um, the reason I became interested in this was I covered uh, police reporting for uh, about 13 years in Niagara region. Mm-hmm. And after the St. Catharines case, I, I sort of put that on the back burner, but mm-hmm. I came up with these other cases where these police officers keep kept talking about uh, witnessing phenomena. And I thought, well, you know, uh, when cops talk, I tend to listen. Now, because we don't have, re- it's hard to test poltergeist sure. in fact if even if there is, i'm not even 100 percent sure there is poltergeist activity everything's mm-hmm. alleged everything's reported but i think there's enough uh, suggestive evidence to go to the next level and i think the cops take us there because i came up with at least 51 police officers around the world in 17 cases since 1952 who claimed to have seen poltergeist activity up close now when they go back to the cop shop and they say they've seen this mm-hmm. i tend to believe them because they've got everything to lose. They've got uh, their sergeant's going to laugh at them. They're going to lose their credibility. So I think I uh, I think that's the best evidence we got of um, that there is uh, poltergeist activity. But wouldn't there be more police officers and more professionals reporting it if it really was legitimate instead of just a few numbers? I don't think those are real small numbers in light of the cases which are investigated because it's such a rare event. And then um, on top of that, of course, there may be some police officers mm-hmm. who fit that mold I just talked about who don't want to go back to the police station, who may say, well, yeah, it was just a kid kicking over some lamp. So there may be a lot of those cases. But I think 51 cops in 17 cases, is uh, they're not small numbers when you talk about um, a subject which is uh, so, so hard to define and so rare. But aren't they small numbers if you take uh, the number of police officers Uh, for example, in Canada, who have not reported poltergeist activity or who have been dispatched to alleged paranormal activity and have found absolutely nothing? Uh, I would have come across those cases, Rob, and I haven't. In fact, it's so rare. I don't don't have a case in Toronto Hmm. in my book, and I've reviewed 75 cases from all over the world, so it's it's extremely rare. So it's it's not surprising to me that there have been uh, a lot of fraudulent cases, although I do have uh, in my book, I've got, I think, about 15-page chapter on cases of fraud where cops have come across something, not only cops, but parapsychologists, and they themselves have said it's just a case of a kid uh, trying to fool people. So let me ask you again, how do we differentiate between a real poltergeist and a fraudulent poltergeist if there's no evidence to substantiate the occurrence as it's happening or evidence? Yes. I think, again, though, we go by... um, the cops, when uh, this St. Catherine's case, mm-hmm. I think, is pretty airtight as far as witness evidence goes because there's been no one 
come forward, as far as I know, in the last 40 years since this case occurred, to uh, talk about cheating. Usually there's a leak in a case. I think Jimmy Hoffa is the only case we'd, uh, we'd know of uh, from the past where there was no leaks. We don't know where the hell Jimmy Hoffa is. Every other case, uh, I think that's why we can prove JFK was shot by one guy because really nobody's come forward to say, and usually people have an axe to grind. People mm-hmm. have something to gain by leaking information. Well, no one in this St. Catherine's case has come forward. Not, not one cop has come forward to say, you know, this was just a big joke all along 40 years later. No one has done that. So I think... Uh, I think they're pretty airtight as far as uh, witnesses go, cops are. All right, but let's take a look at it from another aspect. There are those psychologists, psychiatrists, and even members of the paranormal community as parapsychologists who believe that that poltergeist activity may in fact have something to do with child abuse and child molestation. Now, going going back 41 years ago, that would be a big taboo subject, wouldn't it? Yes, um... Although I think the boy himself in that particular case, he came to my house for an hour or two one night years later. Mm-hmm. I think he would have mentioned that. And I understand what you're saying, but um, there's at least, I think, if not physical child abuse, I think there are probably some emotional mm-hmm. abuses going on in these families. In other words, there wouldn't be psychic tantrums if uh, if the kids knew any other way to express themselves. So I think they're... There probably is some form of psychological or emotional abuse going on, but so is uh, how do we prove this? I don't know. I think I think we're just left with what we have and, and to try to to uh, weed through it and uh, see which cases we think are good and which are which are fraudulent. And of course, there's lots of those cases in my book. But uh, no, I think uh, I'm fairly I'm fairly confident. I wouldn't have come forward with this book. I mean, I'm I'm pretty skeptical. I I was a police reporter for many years. Mm-hmm. People have always tried to sell me things, and I don't believe most things. I don't even think there's there's really proof that a God exists. So uh, when I come forward, I think, and do a book like this, uh, at least I believe in my mind that there there is something to it. So is it fair to say, then, based on the expertise of credible doctors and credible scientists, that poltergeist has nothing to do with a so-called paranormal aspect, that it's all part of one's mental abilities? Depends, uh, Rob, the term paranormal, what does it mean? I tend All right, to I, I'm, when it, I talk about paranormal, I'm talking about ghosts, uh, yeah. things that go bump in the night, the uh, the other side, back from the dead. This sure. is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the unseen forces that toss stuff around. Yes. Um, yeah, the, in the cases I reviewed, I say there's mm-hmm. only a very handful of cases what invo- involved the spirits. I tend to think it's a super-natural super event, in other words, somehow linked to our fight-or-flight system. We don't know how, mm-hmm. and it seems to be rare, and there seems to be a number of um, things going on at this, at, around uh, which the poltergeist agent taps into, i.e. the electrical disturbances, the uh, household electricity, perhaps the, the psychic tantrums because they're being uh, repressed. So, um, yeah, I, I think, uh, no, I, I, I'm fairly confident that this is a, na- a natural, albeit a super mm-hmm natural event. Has there ever been a poltergeist case where the agent wasn't a child or a teenager? Yes, there have been a few. The case I alluded to earlier of a woman in Canada, she doesn't want her name used. She uh, claims to have had poltergeist act. She's now in her mid-40s. She claims to have had poltergeist activity um, through her, um, I think it was through her teenage years, but it still continues to this day. She claims that uh, 
dishes start to rattle and appliances start to move when her husband gets her upset. Now she uh, she wants to become a scientist. Her her uh, her case is uh, very interesting. I think on a number of levels. She, I can't say what what science she's getting into because it would tend to identify her. But uh, uh, why wouldn't she? she is, why uh, wouldn't she want to be identified? Because of the stigma involved. I mean, I took a I took a big chance. I've written seven books on fear, which were mm -hmm. legitimate books. Yeah. I took a big chance and got raked over the coals already for doing a poltergeist book. Uh, the last book I did was on Glenn Gould, a pianist, last year's Secret mm -hmm. Life, and a reviewer from the National Post. Pretty well. One of the reasons she poo pooed the book was she said, "Well, Clarkson, he's written a book on poltergeist, so you can see the stigma involved." In fact, uh, in this particular woman's case, I mentioned she'd been investigated, uh, tested a little bit in uh, in Laurentian University in Sudbury. Well, mm -hmm. uh, she couldn't make the, the pinwheel move in Sudbury, but that night at the hotel, she um, phoned back the passenger who sent one of his assistants, and the assistant apparently saw the wheel move. Now, I asked passenger, can I interview this um, assistant? He said, by, by all means, no. You want uh, this boy's name to be put in the media? And then he's going to be blackballed for life by mainstream science, because mainstream science, when they look at the paranormal, they're it's uh, they're very very cynical about it. Or is it or is so it that there or, or is it that main, mainstream science is much more careful in making claims than pseudoscientists are? It's both. It's both, but they also they tend to throw out a lot of times. They will throw out the baby with the bath water. Mm -hmm. In other words, uh, they'll just uh, say there's nothing to the poltergeist claims. There's nothing to uh, psychokinesis. And yet in, 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 in individual cases, we start looking at some of these cases individually, they, there may be something to them. You see, there may be, but we don't know for sure there is. No, we don't. There's still a lot of things in our world that we don't understand, I think. I think we're learning new things all the time. But for some reason, we have to have an answer. I think it's part of our... Quick fix society. Is it, we have well, to have an answer. For, you know, how long has Poltergeist been being investigated? The, you know, when you take the St. Catharines case alone over forty years, that's not a quick fix. They haven't been investigated over forty years. They've investigated for less than two weeks. So, uh, well, what I'm saying is, um, you're asking me to give you a definitive answer, a black and white answer, and, and there is none because it's it's a field uh, what is on the very fringes mm -hmm. of. Uh, <clears throat> Super dash natural. What are the qualifications and, of the people who actually investigate these claims? Well, they're they are called parapsychologists. Um, they have education often in in uh, science fields, but mm -hmm. uh, they're not really held up uh, as experts as far as uh, mainstream science goes. So, I'm not saying there are poltergeists. Yeah. I'm, what I'm saying is, I've talked to a number of police officers who swear they've seen this activity, and I'm saying there's enough suggestive evidence to, to at least investigate it further or at least look at this subject further. But, of course, it's very frustrating to investigate it because of all the reasons we've talked about, the stigma involved, uh, needing proof, the lack of uh, research money, and the attitudes of uh, mainstream science. So what, if anything, have we learned from the poltergeist cases that have already been investigated uh, to some extent? Well, I think we've... Um, we may have learned. We don't know for sure, of mm -hmm. course, but uh, I, I think we have more abilities. We have our fight or flight system is much more complex than we thought it was, 
and if indeed these things are manifesting themselves in the movement of, of, of objects, then I think uh, that's a very interesting, um, very interesting thing. We can prove to a point that our fight or flight system results in things like amazing uh, athletic uh, accomplishments because they are physical uh, feats, uh, also involved with mental activities. But um, I think uh, fight or flight needs to be studied a little more intently before we perhaps uh, can accept something like poltergeist act mm -hmm. activity, which is one step beyond that. So if, let, let me ask you this question. In which direction do you believe, after researching poltergeists as you have, should the mainstream science pursue this, uh, this phenomenon? Well, they're not. They're not, not pursuing no, no, it. no, no, that was my question. How, in your opinion, should they pursue it? Well, first of all, I guess they should keep an open mind, and they should. I've asked uh, Amazing Randy this question, and he just uh, poo-pooed it. He didn't get the first base. Uh, no, it's all it's all fraud. So the open mind, obviously, is the number one thing. And then perhaps taking some of these cases and trying to pick them apart. Now, you can't do mm -hmm. it when it's ongoing because the families are just paranoid. They won't let people in unless uh, they have no other alternative. Perhaps studying some of the cases I have in my book, putting some money into it, interviewing um, interviewing the people with an open mind, not, not the way someone like the amazing Randy does it. He shows up at the Poltergeist event in, Poltergeist in Columbus, Ohio, and on the doorstep he says, you know, there's nothing to these things. Then he asks to, to interview the people. Mm -hmm. Well, they're not going to give him a good story because they're going to feel like they're being ridiculed. So I think uh, first and foremost there has to be an open mind as we uh, approach these uh, types of subjects. Tell me, are there psychological exams done on the people who claim to have these poltergeist experiences? Yes, uh, there have been some psychological and emotional tests. Mm -hmm. And usually there, there are some problems. There are, there are some uh, defense me mechanisms perhaps would kick into place yeah. when uh, they're under stress and under pressure in their families. They uh, tend to feel insecure. They tend to feel like people are not listening mm -hmm. to them. And they seem to think there's no other way to get attention than to uh, to have these uh, crazy things going on. Although, as I say, they, they don't know how they're doing it. They're perhaps doing it only subconsciously. All right, Michael, please stand by. You and I have to take a commercial break. By the way, Michael, uh, do you have a website our listeners can go to? Yes, www.michaelclarkson.com and reach me at michael.paul.clarkson at gmail.com. All right, stand by. www.michaelclarkson.com is his website. We're talking about Michael's book, The Poltergeist Phenomenon, an in-depth investigation into floating beds, smashing glass, and other unexplained disturbances. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue here in the X-Zone from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. You at the time of your life So take the photographs and still friends in your mind Religion, but I 
Michael Clarkson's our guest. And Michael, what is the opinion of the religious community when it comes to poltergeist activity? I think they tend to think that it's got to do with um, uh, spirits mm-hmm. and or demonic possession. But um, I, I really shouldn't be speaking on behalf of the entire uh, religious community. I'm sure in different cultures... Uh, they have different opinions. There was a case actually in India not long ago, uh, a couple of years ago, in a mm-hmm. cop shop where uh, all the police officers said this the poltergeist activity was going on, and they brought in a, a, a religious person, and they concluded in their culture, in their minds, that uh, it was some sort of a, a demonic possession. So, as, as I said earlier, they've, they've, right. people have had, in different cases, they've had exorcisms and such, but... Uh, it's inconclusive to say that uh, you know an exorcism has uh, stopped the poltergeist activity because usually it ends by itself anyway within a couple of weeks. You know, here we are in the year 2011. Everybody's got a camcorder. Everybody's got uh, the ability to record video on their cell phones. Has any any good video proof of poltergeist activity surfaced? That's the problem, Rob. Uh, things can be faked, so it's hard mm-hmm. to uh, separate them. Uh, there have been some photos, um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Nina Kulagina, if, um, if you go on YouTube, you may see some decent videos, right. seem to be legitimate videos from the Soviet scientists from the 50s, but otherwise, um, it, I mean, it's, it's so easy to fake, uh, who knows, if, if I come forward tomorrow with what I think is legitimate poltergeist video, then who's, uh, who's going to believe me? Gotcha. There have been a few, there was a, a, actually a case of a flying phone in the Columbus, Ohio, 1984, where a photograph was taken with a lot of people in the room with this, fo- with this uh, telephone flying off this girl's lap. That seems to be the best recorded uh, photo evidence of, uh, in poltergeist history. In your opinion, who are the best parapsychologists that investigate uh, poltergeist activity? Yes. Well, William Roll, who's uh, in the um, Georgia, he's semi-retired now. He's by far the most um, respected in mm-hmm. this field. There's a chap in Florida also uh, called Andrew Nichols. Unfortunately, we've had a couple of uh, the more leading ones pass on, Maurice Gross, uh, particularly in England. So it seems to be a field where um, I'm not sure if young, uh, younger parapsychologists are taking up this mantle or not, but it seems to be falling by the wayside, the research, uh, as far as uh, upcoming years. Michael, I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's been a great pleasure talking to you. I wish you much success with your book, and we look forward to speaking to you in the future. Yes, thanks for having me on, Rob. Right, take care, sir. Bye-bye now. Exonation. Michael Clarkson has been our guest this hour. And uh, Michael's website is www.michaelclarkson.com. He's the author of a new book entitled The Poltergeist Phenomenon, an in-depth investigation into floating beds, smashing glass, and other unexplained disturbances. I'll be back on the other side of the news at six and a half minutes past as the Exxon continues with yours truly, Rob McConnell, from our studios here in beautiful Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Once again, 1-800-610-7035, worldwide toll-free. Email exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On MSN Messenger, exxonradiotv at hotmail.com. Our website, exxonradiotv.com. 
I'm Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon. I'll be back at six and a half minutes past the hour. Don't go away. Yeah.